Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. I've added this note to the beginning of my most recent and highest downloaded episodes to let you know of a few changes and hopefully avoid any confusion for you as listeners. You will hear me call the show Life After Business as well as reference various ventures I've been a part of over the years. When I started the show, I originally named it Life After Business because I was on a mission to learn everything I wish I would have known before we sold our family business back in 2014. And after 200 episodes and Tons of information that I've learned. I finally decided to change the name to better reflect me, the content, and the guests. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is business owners and entrepreneurs who were the happiest and most successful, in my mind, didn't focus only on sucking all the cash out of the company, and they knew the business was going to eventually continue on without them at some point in time. They literally knew exactly what they wanted from their business long term and why. They intentionally focused on building a valuable company so they could have the freedom of choices to do what they wanted from the business. So they focused on strategies that would grow value long term and give them the freedom to choose. You can learn more about the name change, my major lessons, and our definition of intentional growth in episode 200. Enjoy the episode that you're listening to right now, and thanks for being a listener. Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand what your company is worth and what your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business, build a valuable company to be proud of, and exit on your terms. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 165. And before we kick it off into an amazing interview with the CEO of Conscious Capitalism, Alexander McCobin, and one of my good friends, Dan Golden, who owns BFO, which is Be Found Online Digital Marketing Company out of Chicago, I want to give you an update on the growth at Nexit Bootcamps. So we just did one this week, and we had a lot of feedback that we should have it down to two days. So the unanimous feedback was with high-energy entrepreneurs, two and a half days was just slightly too much, so we have refined it. We've got it all into two days now. So the 8th and 9th of October is coming up. And then the 3rd and 4th of December, that's Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then in Dayton, Ohio on November 12th and 13th. And then January 21st and 22nd. And here's how to understand whether you're a candidate for the Growth and Exit Bootcamp. If you've had the question that goes through your head that said, what should I do with what I've built? If you have any interest in understanding all the different ways that companies are valued or what strategies you can do right now to implement and increase the value of your company so you can make more money after tax and after debt payment when you sell and how your financial targets impact the different exit options that you may or may not be available to do and understanding the difference between private equity, ESOPs, third-party strategic buyers, family transitions, partnership buyouts. If you have any questions like that, sitting down and understanding that you will have control and understanding what that next step should be to glue this all together and how you can be prepared for that out-of-the-blue offer and then what outside advisors from tax to legal to wealth to insurance to banking and brokers versus investment bankers. If you want to Get all of that information so you can control the next stage of your growth and the potential exit when and how you choose to do it. Please sign up for the boot camp or reach out to me if you want to walk through the agenda. You don't share any confidential information. We use two full-blown case studies that my partners and I have built out from the $10 million revenue to the million dollars in EBITDA, all their financials and all their different results. So that way you can see the difference between someone that is prepared and someone that hasn't, how that impacts their valuation, the net proceeds, and when and how they get the exit that they want. Please check it out. 
arcona.io on our website, the bootcamp tab. Otherwise, reach out to me at rtansom at arcona.io. The reason I wanted Alexander and Dan on my show is because one is after I read Conscious Capitalism, I knew in my soul that this is how companies can help change the world. We can actually do good and make a lot of money at the same time. And I believe that a lot of founders of privately held companies have a degree of Conscious Capitalism in their DNA without necessarily being aware of it. And that's what I found is Founders care about their business, their clients, their employees, and their reputation so much that they have a right and a duty to be good and do good by most people. And I would say the general majority of founders are like that. So I think when you look at the 75% of owners who are unhappy regardless of the money they make 12 months later is because they didn't align what they wanted and what they believed with that eventual buyer. So what conscious capitalism is, is that if you do good by everybody and you have the long-term view, you have the ability to outperform your competitors because as consumers today switch to a more conscious capitalism mentality where they're, they want to buy products and goods and services that are bettering the world, we actually have to provide services like that in order to outperform and to have a company that thrives forever. So Alexander and Dan are on to show share how Dan has been doing this for a decade. He was one of the first raving fans of Conscious Capitalism, how when he got an out of the blue offer, he had to look at his relationship to his business, how he's using it to change people's lives, and what it would look like if he were to sell it. Alexander describes what Conscious Capitalism is, what's happening in the movement, how consumers are helping change this. And I want to make sure that I challenge you, the listener, as you're looking at your business, what does it mean to you? How can you use the infrastructure of this business to change your employees, people's lives, the community? Because you have a bigger infrastructure doing that necessarily than you might sitting on a charity board. So really thinking about who that potential seller is, or I'm sorry, who that potential buyer is, whether it's your next level manager, an ESOP, whether it's a private equity firm, a strategic buyer, how do they view the business and the world around them? And Conscious Capitalism, the book, is able to help you articulate that because I think it'll help you identify some of your core personal and business drivers to align your needs and wants with that potential buyer at some point. I love this episode. I highly recommend you go read the book. So without further ado, here is Dan and Alexander. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Three days jam-packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Three days at Arcona's Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the rest of the journey. Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Doing great, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I am super pumped to have uh, both of you on the show, Dan, because you're a really good friend and we have a lots of funny stories together and too bad the audience cannot see the oranges behind you and your really dirty mustache that is a month before November. <laughs> and, and Alexander, <laughs> and Alexander's extremely happy that he can't see it as well. But I'm ex- extremely excited and honored to have you on the show, Alexander, because you're the CEO of Conscious Capitalism, which is uh, a book that Dan told me about years ago. I would listen, you know, I've had other stuff in my queue and I read it, you know, a couple years ago now. And it's just like, I, I think it changed my perception of the world and how the economy works and, uh, you know, what is going to be happening. And I'm really excited to, to get your perspective on what Conscious Capitalism is doing, the movement kind of, I talk about it a lot in the podcast. and 
the reason, and I'll, I'll kind of tee it up afterwards to kind of weave my story into it, which we were just talking about, but why owners should think about this now before they grow and sell, because it's not just about the money. It's about doing good and having a platform for good because a lot of owners after they sell, they go sit on a board. They might have a millions and millions of dollars, but they can't make as much of an impact sitting on a board, you know, just kind of barking out orders from a nonprofit. So I think business is a interesting and amazing way to change lives in the economy. But so Alexander, maybe we'll start with you. Give us maybe your background, how you got introduced to conscious capitalism and a little bit of you. My pleasure. So I got into all of this it, through a circuitous route. When I was a teenager, I had entrepreneurial instincts. I started and ran several small businesses, both for-profit and non-profit. But when I went off to college, I didn't think business was a way to really make a difference in the world. I decided I wanted to really take the ideas I cared about, justice and morality, and move them forward in the world. So, of course, I had to become a philosophy professor. I went off to grad school, started working on a PhD, but kept finding myself being pulled back into business. I started to specialize in business ethics. And as I was writing my dissertation on a new theory of corporate moral responsibility, I heard about conscious capitalism as well, actually. When the book came out, I was intrigued by the concept. And so I went out to the first conscious capitalism conference in San Francisco and was just blown away by the community of business leaders who were taking these abstract concepts that I was reading and writing about and turning them into reality, full-blown organizations, products, and services that were creating a more just, moral, and productive world. And I was so inspired by that that I dropped out of the PhD program within a year, started building up one of the organizations I had started when I was younger, a nonprofit organization called Students for Liberty. And Within the next several years, grew it into a multi-million dollar operation with thousands of student groups around the world running 100 conferences for 20,000 participants each year. But when conscious capitalism was reaching an inflection point a few years ago, it was the one thing that could have taken me away because there's so much potential in this movement and this philosophy of a human-focused approach to capitalism and business mm -hmm. to change the world for the better. And in so many ways, this is about helping business people and the rest of society understand what business is about. It's about people creating value for everyone that you touch. As Adam Smith understood and articulated, you know, before he was an economist, he was a philosopher. He wrote the theory of moral sentiments over a decade before the Wealth of Nations, and that was the foundation upon which he articulated the free market system. Mm -hmm. And so in a lot of ways, Conscious capitalism is reminding us of those ethical principles that business people and this capital system is built upon and helping more people live up to the potential of capitalism, elevate humanity and to make the world a better place. I love it. And we're going to, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and before we get into kind of the, the, the fundamentals of conscious capitalism, I'll, I'll let Dan, you kind of go and explain, you know, your your gravitation towards this because you've been you've been at this for quite a while and you know before that it's like you know what alexander was saying which i think a lot of people have thought before this that, that this is articulated is that money and doing good were not part of the same thing you had to either like be on nonprofits and do charity or donating versus you know i have to go make as much money as possible at all you know and by all means possible so dan how, like how in the heck did you you know maybe give a background of your you know your company and then how you got involved in this yeah I would consider myself, before I found this movement, unconsciously conscious. You know, it, it 
the the book and the movement and the inspiring leaders that are attacking this this opportunity in, in different and inspiring ways. When I found the movement, I was like, well, this, this makes sense. This is what I've been trying to do. And I, I think a challenge for me as a business owner and uh, as a human is trying to balance, you know, my feelings and sentiments in both of those worlds. Like what I want to, the impact I want to make in the world uh, and the question of how I do it. And when it sort of clicked that it, it can, you know, your, your day job, you can affect people's lives in, a, in the world in a positive way. It should be the same thing. It shouldn't be separate disciplines or a separate part of your life. And I, I think a lot of a lot of businesses have good intentions, but lack the tools and lack the accountability, and in some cases, lack the inspiration to make big changes and to take risks. And to, you know, you want to say sacrifice profit for other things, but it's not a sacrifice. That's the that's the main point, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when you treat your people right, when you pay your vendors, and that that rises, you know, those tides rise all of, all of the ships. It's not a trade-off. And I think that's, that messaging, I think can really can, can help spread the word. Well, and if, for the people that don't know, Dan, he owns a company called BFO, BFON Online, a digital marketing company. He's got quite the personality and you can tell that, you know, you're like, Dan, and you, we've been friends through YEC and, you know, you, as you, you got a random offer for your business and you're, you've been kind of going through all this stuff and, and you have reinvigorated yourself into your company because I, as you and I were talking last year, it's like, what are you without your company and how can you make this change? And I, and I think as you're going forward and you're, it, it maybe kind of just describe, you know, how, like, was it six years ago that you come, came across conscious capitalism and how that's, how that, how that trickles into all your relationships with your vendors, your customers and your employees. Cause I think it makes a huge difference. Uh, it does. I mean, and, and it provides some language and some language around it, but you know, as we've gotten offers to sell the company, there's, what's in it for everybody. You know, there's, you got to think about your, your team. You got to think about, you know, it it causes you to, to answer questions about everything, about what your, you know, what your values are. And, you know, that, that was one of the things that brought me in is just the, there are so many inspirational companies that are building a more eco-friendly something or the, what they actually do, the activities that they do every day are like right in line with their values and are as a marketing agency to put it in a, um, I, and I think we do great work and inspirational things, but a lot of what we do is make money for businesses through internet advertising. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so the actions that we take every day, and while it's, you know, you need more of a purpose than, than, than clicks and revenue. Mm-hmm. Um and finding a way to 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 make that uh, you know your your day job and your beliefs one and the same and and marching towards the right things and helping the right kind of companies that's that's what it's all about. So Alexander, maybe can you can you give us uh, the kind of the fundamentals of conscious capitalism and why doing good and and making money actually can happen and how because like you know there's, I believe that there's this way between you know Simon Sinek is talking about this with the new book his new book Infinite Game Ray Dalio who is one of the best financiers in the world is talking about this and then you've got Jack Stack who's been on this show and so there's I, there's an actual movement of people that make money that are showing that there's actually re- financial results behind this too but maybe can they, can you give us and I, I don't know the the fundamentals of conscious capitalism I know when did the six powers part of it but just some of the basics so the listeners can kind of grasp something that we've been talking about that might be a little bit more intangible for certain people? So conscious capitalism, as simply as I can put it, is a way of thinking about capitalism and business that emphasizes the human nature of these endeavors. In a lot of ways, it's not re-articulating capitalism. It's just emphasizing the paradigm is about people at all times. 
businesses are aggregations of people. An economy is an aggregation of people. And the purpose of business is to make people's lives better. It's all about serving other individuals and profit and money being a means of doing that rather than being the end of the process. Mm -hmm. So one of the common misconceptions of conscious capitalism is that it's saying make sacrifices on the revenue side for the sake of doing good in the world, or it says that profit is bad. That's not actually the case, as you two have been talking about. Mm -hmm. It's that profit and money is a means of serving a higher purpose, and that businesses are incredibly powerful forces for good in the world when they understand that. And we believe that businesses ought to be run on four principles. One is having a higher purpose than maximizing profit, understanding that relationship. A second is stakeholder orientation, understanding that businesses should be making a positive impact in the lives of everyone that they touch, rather than prioritizing a single stakeholder group, typically shareholders, above and at the expense of other, of other individuals, of suppliers, customers, and the community that businesses are part of. Mm -hmm. Then the way to serve that is to have conscious leadership, leaders who are not just really analytically smart and can make tough decisions, but leaders who also have emotional intelligence, who have systemic intelligence and understand how their decisions impact many people, even spiritual intelligence, mm -hmm. realizing that they embody the values of the company and represent what the company stands for. Mm -hmm. And fourthly, conscious culture, creating systems in the organization where people are able to bring their full authentic selves to work and lean into that as a way of unleashing their potential and doing the best work possible. And for companies to be a place where you don't check your personality or your humanity at the door, but you live up to it actually. And what I love about Dan's story is that he was a conscious capitalist before there was a term for this. The term conscious capitalism only came about in 2013 when the book was released. And there were conscious capitalists long before that. There were people like Dan who were intuitively grasping and working towards this, what we've developed over the last six, 10 years has been a movement, a way to bring like-minded business leaders together to support each other, to share their stories and encourage more people to go into business to serve a higher purpose and to get more business people to understand and do that as well. It's super interesting, Alexander, because I, I mean, I think you, you hit on a couple of things that, you know, that Dan was intuitively doing. And I do believe that there's a lot of privately held entrepreneurs, like you call them the founders, not VC back, but people that bootstrap something and they had to rely on kind of like John's story. And when he started a whole foods, like you have to rely on your customers because they're paying the bills and your employees and, and you have to do, you kind of inherently do some of the conscious capital and stuff when you grow a company from the ground up. And a lot of privately held companies have that. But when you look at, I've seen over the last five years, Alexander's that private equity and the financiers have come down into the lower market, you know, to buy these privately held companies and they're based on spreadsheets, right? So then you hear these stories and lots of my podcasts, people that have made millions and millions of dollars, but these financiers lack the soul that they had and started the company with. And then literally, I mean, I, I, I mean, I just talked to someone recently, they, this private equity firm bought a company with 10 million in EBITDA and just destroys it within 24 months. I mean, like how you can disappear $10 million in EBITDA that fast means they just don't understand kind of the inherent stuff, like you said, that is intuitively in the conscious capitalism. And do you think, Alexander, I'm curious of, you know, one of the things that are the difference between those two, those two, those two types of markets is the 
short-term versus the long-term. I mean, privately held companies, I mean, it's up to Dan whether he wants to take a distribution or invest in something else. And he gets to see over the long-term how that impacts him versus the short-term, you know, private equity or public, you know, markets that are, you know, have to do something based on the ends of the, the money and the profit. I mean, explain maybe, and Dan, you can follow up Alexander with an example of how you've, you've incorporated that, but the difference of the short-term, long-term and how you can actually see over the long-term the improved value because of the conscious capitalism movement. I think one of the problems that we've seen over the last 50 years has been the over-abstraction of business. A lot of people just try to reduce business down to a few variables and really treat businesses as black boxes. You don't really know what they're producing or how they do it, and you don't look at the individuals they touch. But there are these levers you're able to pull, and you're supposed to get more revenue from that, when really that's fundamentally misunderstanding what a business is about and what entrepreneurs and often founders in particular really understand, that a business is a group of people solving a problem and creating value for other people, and it's unique to each business and situation. It's not a black box. It's something that is complicated and detailed and nuanced and so rich and vibrant with all of those specifications. And that's one of the things that I think the most successful businesses lean into. And that's what we often see in the conscious capitalism space, that each business, especially when they're living up to their own higher purpose, because that differs from company to company, they're going to figure out their own way of doing things. And it's interesting that you point this out because we often do see founder-driven private companies being some of the most active and prominent members of the conscious capitalism community because they have the freedom to do what they want. They can think long-term and they get that higher purpose. They're, they're maintaining those values even as they grow. And so those are a lot of the companies involved with the conscious capitalism movement right now. But there is this larger conversation also happening around how we develop more conscious financial structures, bring more conscious capital to help businesses grow while maintaining their higher purpose and their values. Mm -hmm. Because there isn't enough behind that right now, and there's a lot of room for, for improvement there. And Dan, how, maybe kind of give your example, like as a founder from owning a company that does a, you know, a decent amount of revenue, how you, over the long term you've been able to do things that you know are aligned with you know, your, your morals and integrity and the conscious capitalism? I mean, having a private company, allows you to think long-term, right? You can have, you can choose to have a flat year and write some ships or invest in, invest in certain products that are, you know, when there's the, the quarterly lens. I mean, I, I think the system of the stock market and having it quarterly, having to hit quarterly numbers and reports would change like that's that system. And I, I, I don't have the solution for fixing that necessarily. Uh, I'm sure Alexander, and there's a lot of very smart people that have, great ideas around how to how to change some of those incentives. Um, but Alexander's right, as a as a private business, we can make a choice. You know, we can we can choose to we can choose to invest more in our people and have slightly less margins or to to give bonuses or to, you know, prepare for a recession and and cut back to I mean, we have that choice. And I, I know a, a lot of entrepreneurs, when you take on capital, you lose that choice. It's growth or bust. There are so many great companies that have built an app or a product or a solution that are growing, that are doing good things, that have customers, uh, but they raised so much money and they had to set expectations so high and arbitrary in order to raise that money 
you know, that, you know, over someone raised that much money, you want to give them a high five and say, congratulations, but they're just starting on the hamster wheel and oh there's no, they, you can't take a left turn or a right turn. You can only run fast in one direction or the whole wheel falls off. I think it's super interesting. And then, yeah, because you guys both make some good points. And I, 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 Alexander, you said the business was a black box. And I think what's very interesting about the difference between the private and the public markets, and even like you said, Dan, VC or private equity back where there is institutional money that says, I need this money back at this return at this time. You know, the privately held companies, you know, like you said, don't have to do that. But business used to be a black box until this, you know, cool, really cool thing called the internet came out and said, oh, by the way, they're treat, you know, so, you know, I, I love my shoes or love my shirt or love my food, but they treat every single person in the supply chain like shit. <laughs> like maybe, I don't want to buy that shoe anymore because I can buy lots of shoes. And so, you know, that hopefully with, you know, what has been seeing you that the black box is getting, you know, there's a, there's light going into it where, you know, there's conscious. And I think Dan, you and I were talking about this, the conscious customer uh, consumer, but the, you know, what, what Alex, Alexander, I'm curious to be like, what I have seen over hundreds of podcast interviews is that the founder like Dan knows this stuff because they have to sleep at night, right? Because you're the one making all the decisions. So did you treat that customer well? Did you, you know, all this stuff where you get into the CEOs that are making $70 million and they just have to report to a board. There's so much lack of responsibility that everybody, like you can't point a finger at anybody versus the founder that is like, you know, responsible for everything and has to, you know, literally sleep at night with the pillow. I don't know. I mean, do you see the the digital age ha having something to do with this? There's absolutely something to the digital age helping us gain more transparency into what businesses are doing. And it's not just for customers. It's for investors and employees and everyone else access more information about the businesses. And it also creates an opportunity for businesses to share what they're doing more, to not just create a product and service and people only see that end result, but to explain what they're doing well, how they take care of their employees, what their supply chain is like and connect with people at a deeper level. That's one of the things that actually more businesses ought to be doing going forward in order to help people understand how you're able to both make money and do good at the same time. That's, that's one of the opportunities available with the digital and information age that we're living in right now. It's, it's, I, think, I, I think there are no black boxes left. Right. And I think that's only gonna, it's only gonna move more in that direction. I think the, you know, the level of accountability and Alexander, I know we've talked about this and, and sort of the, the, a CEO can raise their hand and say, I'm awesome. And I believe these things. And then there's action at the same time, going after companies as the business police, isn't necessarily going to be the best way to do that either. You know, there's large, the large companies that we want on board this movement that can make large, that have hundreds of thousands of employees and can make massive impact by, by changing their direction. You can't pivot a company like that, like a hovercraft, right? It's a cruise ship. So welcoming companies to take that first step and that third step, uh, and also, you know, reporting on the good news and, and keeping them accountable where they need to need to improve, whether it's, you know, environmental impact or how they treat their employees. Uh, there's, you know, because con consumers care and the information's there. There's, I believe, a lot of opportunity to make that, um, that kind of information more accessible. Because I, I, I fear that even the best intentioned people, myself included, that the, the price and convenience of easy, right? You can say you're a conscious consumer all day, but if you have to pay $45 for a t-shirt, most people don't make that decision. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of work left to be done 
making that information accessible. And because this next generation, they really care and they pay attention. And, you know, businesses that say one thing and do another are, are going to be held accountable. And that, you know, if anything, if you're, if you don't believe in this stuff and you're greedy, you should be doing this stuff because that's how you're going to survive the next generation. Well, and I have two comments on that. And then I'm curious on your, your feedback because there's good points, Dan. And I think going, so my question to you, Alexander, after a couple of insights is the, you know, the, it, to Dan's point, it's the consumer, right? So the consumer, two thirds of the economy is based on the consumer, right? So we're the ones fueling the profit of the entire machine. So the consumers are, but then, you know, what's also interesting that I see is some of the stats that I follow, Alexander, is there's, there's 6 million privately held companies in the U.S. that have more than one employee. So there's about 27 million incorporated uh, companies in the U.S. They employ 120 million Americans. So these 6 million companies, they, out of them, 5.6 million of them are under 5 million in revenue. So it's like, I mean, it's staggering these numbers, but the average age of these business owners are 62. So there's going to be this transition happening. I mean, you can't argue with time. And so, you know, to your point, Dan, like the consumer is in, is the, you know, you know, the consumer in the typical economy where you're buying stuff. But what I see is interesting is that the easiness that you talked about, Dan, that it, I'm watching is that there's a big bag of money from a private equity firm or an, a VC or a strategic buyer that doesn't have the same values as you. That's easy. But guess what? That what happens to your company and your customers afterwards and your employees is devastating and they don't think about that. So that more than not just the conscious consumer, but the conscious seller has to happen. Otherwise, I mean, it's just a shift in power and who is actually managing the consumer. So, you know, the question, Alexander, is when you talk about educating the 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 consumer because demand side, I mean, that's kind of the demand side uh, economics. And I don't know how how do you see the shift happening and what are the ways to do it? Well, like you said, I think that the consumer shift is happening on its own. They want to have more authentic brands. They want to purchase goods that are aligned with their values. They want to support companies that they believe in that they think are making a positive impact on the world. So it's actually less, in my opinion, of on the need to educate the consumer than it is the need to educate the suppliers. We need to educate business people that there is a better way of doing business, not better not just for making a positive impact on the world, but even better for the financial returns, especially long-term. The way business is typically taught in business schools, the way it's discussed in the media, the paradigm that is most prominent right now that over-economizes a business that focuses just on the financial return that by any means necessary is not actually a successful strategy long-term, especially with the way that the world is changing. The more that we can help businesses understand, they need to take a human approach to succeed in business and that people are going to respond positively to that. That's the opportunity for us. And we're even seeing some of the biggest businesses recognizing this right now. It was only a few weeks ago that the Business Roundtable, which represents 181 of the largest CEOs in the country who run the largest businesses, changing their position on the purpose of the corporation. Back in 1997, when they released their first statement on the purpose of the corporation, it was all about shareholder value, maximizing profits for them, other stakeholders. Maybe they're something that you consider afterwards, but it's all means to serve shareholders. Their new statement just a few weeks ago reverse that. They said that they now believe the purpose of the corporation is to take care of every stakeholder that they impact and to make sure they're having a positive impact on them. This is a radical shift. And it's because 
they see these trends themselves. And hopefully other business leaders are going to take note of these large company CEOs recognizing this and embrace that paradigm change as well. Well, it's, it's so interesting because I think at the back of the book of uh, conscious capitalism, I mean, I don't know if you if you know these stats and I'm not looking at it um, specifically right now, but the, the conscious capitalism companies like way outperform the typical business in the S&P 500. I don't know if you know what the stats are, but I mean, or maybe you can just speak you know vaguely to it. I forget the numbers that you're referring to off the top of my head, but it is true, especially from Rosh Sodia's um, precursor to conscious capitalism, Firms of Endearment. Mm-hmm. He compared companies that have conscious cultures against companies uh, that are run on Jim Collins' good to great versus the S&P 500. Yeah. Yep. And, and businesses that are run with conscious cultures and conscious capitalism outperform them multiple times over. Mm-hmm. There, there's evidence behind this, and the same goes for evidence behind each one of the principles. Companies that have a higher purpose outperform those that are just focused on maximizing profit. Companies that have stakeholder orientation actually provide better returns for shareholders than those that are, sol- that are solely focused on shareholder returns and treat every other person they interact with as a means to that end. There, there's ample evidence out there, and we're seeing larger businesses starting to accept that and make changes based on it. It's interesting. Um, and then, Dan, I want to get your input on this. So I interviewed a gentleman named Ben who owns Woodchucky USA. Um, and he, it's plant one buy, or buy one plant one for his notebooks. And I think you had mentioned Alexander that he was on the show and he, he just approaches this with such a non, it's just like common sense. And he's dropping the F bonds. He's like, he's like, you're having you know, troubles with employee engagement because they don't have a purpose. You have, he goes, it ripples into everything. If you're not doing this and you're just pure greedy, like you said, Dan, like this is the way to make more money. And, you know, he kept going back to the consumer. And so Dan, with your, with your insights in the, the digital agencies, and I mean, you're running ads and you're seeing what, how people are buying, I mean, through, through big companies too. So how are you seeing the trends as far as how people are buying because of this? It's something that's really tough to measure. Measuring love, <laughs> measuring, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, a Nielsen study on brand lift from running these ads. And, you know, I, I will say that, it, you know, in terms of my company's focus, we are, our DNA has been a performance marketing agency. So a lot of the metrics and stuff that we're looking at, I would say aren't, it's really through a different lens and I'm struggling and, and excited about trying to bridge that gap and figure out like, um, how to quantify, right? The, so the conscious consumer that, you know, consumers vote with their wallets, you can, you can hear there's surveys. And I, again, I'm not, I'm not staring at a stat sheet, but there's a lot of them. But there's a difference between what you will say when someone calls your cell phone and you agree to a- answer five questions in a minute and what you do when you make a purchase every day. Mm-hmm. And that, that I think is going to be a lot harder than, than most of us realize, right? Like there are price, convenience, a lot of the things, a lot of, you know, coupons, a lot of the things that like, as a marketer, I know influence purchase behavior. I think we have a really steep hill to climb uh, in terms of, you know, making, um, making things trans, you know, transparent at that moment of purchase, or at least having a look back to see, do your values actually match your purchase behavior? Um, and I, I think there's a lot of opportunities moving forward to, you know, to help consumers make those make those types of decisions, right? Your, your 401k, it might be invested in 
oil companies that or you don't jewel, agree the, the, with. Jewel, right? The, the vaping. I mean, like I, I or cigarettes. I mean, like I think I think John talks about in the book too, right? Yeah, you made a you know, you were good to great and you made a bunch of money, but yeah, you left, you know, millions of people dead, you know, but you know, trillions on our healthcare system. Good for you. Like, woohoo. <laughs> it's just like, but when you think about it, it makes so much common sense. You know, Alexander, what are you know, is there a way to bridge like it, actually like maybe the question is what are what are tangible examples that you see? Because, you know, you got your summit coming up. Like what are people in the big companies actually doing and how are their decisions changing? So maybe, you know, like if you're looking at a decision tree, like this would be a normal decision for profit versus this is what someone's doing for the long term for the for their community. Well, let's make the distinction between what might be a short-term decision to maximize profit versus something that's going to be a long-term profitable decision by creating real value. That's what that that's one of the keys to articulating and understanding conscious capitalism. Again, we're not saying sacrifice profit. Mm -hmm. We're saying create value for people and it's going to be profitable for you. But to be honest, so far, they've just made the commitment. The business roundtable new statement said that these CEOs are making the commitment to support all their stakeholders. And I'm really curious to hear what they're going to do about this too, which is why we invited the business roundtable to come out to our CEO summit coming up in October to tell us what it was like for them to change their position, what their businesses are going to do going forward, and see what we can do to share with these larger businesses what small and mid-market companies in the conscious capitalism movement have been doing for a long time. Mm -hmm. Ways that we can share best practices with them as well as learn from them as they start to go down this path as well. Because we're this is something that's new for them in a lot of ways, and we need to be supportive of that. Like like Dan said, it's, a, it's about helping businesses make changes, especially recognizing that they're probably going to be slow when they're much larger. But if they're willing to go on this journey, we should be supportive of them going on this and helping them do so. Well, it's super interesting because, you know, like uh, I agree with you. And again, I, and it all, I think it all comes down to like you guys have both said is it, it, the consumer and like it in not only the consumer, but the average American. I mean, it's just the. The, the capitalist structure right now just isn't working for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have so many, the haves and the have nots are greater than it's ever been before. And Ray Dalio, who's like literally one of my idols, he, who, I mean, he's a financier and he's like, this is just not working. We're not investing in education. We're not investing in all these things that long-term were are better for everybody and pay off financially too. And so like, I, it's interesting where like, they just, you kind of get to the point where they're just sick of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, and I don't know how, you know, how you, I guess I don't know where I was going with that necessarily, other than the fact that like you have people that, like in those bigger companies, how do you, you know, get them to the point where they're able to, to meet the customer where they're at? I mean, I don't know if you can shorten the gap where you have, uh, what was John doing? He was going on, he was actually like talking to the, I think in the book, he was talking to an activist that was all about like the treatment of, was it cows or something like that? And he was like, so he was listening more than sitting in the ivory tower. Well, one thing that I think, should give us reason for optimism is that the largest companies in the country don't stay the largest all forever. If you look at the number of companies that were on the Fortune 500 list 50 years ago and those that are on it now, it's changed dramatically. There aren't that many left. A lot of today's mid-market companies are going to be tomorrow's Fortune 500 companies. So the more that we can help mid-market businesses run on these principles today, that's going to impact the large companies in the future. But at the same time, what conscious capitalism is doing is providing the community and the opportunity for employees and leaders at larger companies to learn from those that have been practicing 
practicing this for a while, whether that's coming out to our CEO summit or our annual conference or going to site visits at companies like, say, Barry Waymiller, which is in itself a large multi-billion dollar manufacturing conglomerate that is run on conscious cultures and what they call truly human leadership, looking at all of their employees as someone's child and treating them with the dignity and respect that they deserve for that. Or, say, bringing business leaders out to Grayson Bakery in Yonkers, New York, which I think is a great example of conscious capitalism because it highlights that it's not all about the products and services of a business. They make brownies, not healthy for you, absolutely <laughs> delicious. They're the brownies that go into Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they say they bake brownies to hire people rather than hire people to bake brownies. Mm-hmm. And they have this creative approach up where, that they call open hiring, where for about 80% of their job, there's no application, there's no credentials required. They literally have a list in their office in Yonkers, New York, that people sign up for. And whenever there's a job opening, they call the next person on the list and give them an offer to give them a chance in life, to give them a chance to prove that they can do it and develop their skills so that whether they stay at Grayson or go to somewhere else afterwards, they're employable. And these are people that are typically turned away, whether it's because they've never graduated high school or they have criminal records or they've had drug and alcohol problems before. And Grayson Bakery is running this incredibly successful company producing delicious brownies to support them. Mm-hmm. I, it, you know, it's so, it, it's funny because I saw um, uh, Jerry speak at uh, one of the places that I spoke um, in May and just an amazing story about what they did with Ben and Jerry's and how they were, I mean, I don't know if they, because that was what, in the 70s? So they're like one of the first conscious capitalism companies. I mean, how they were doing this stuff. And he even told the Brownies story, how he decided to buy from them and they went from zero to like $8 million in sales. And it's like this way to impact people's lives and the ripple effect. But here's, here's the interesting note on that alexander which i think is applicable to kind of this wave of people and the boomers that are going to be having to transition and how do you take the in the next mid-market companies could be the i mean there's this whole bridge with the private equity firms that are helping finance the um the small companies and what happened was is you know ben and jerry's got bought by a big public company right so you know, watching owners, and I don't know exactly how that's going to all unfold over the long period of time, but like, you know, now you have a different set of bosses with different rules and different int- intentions, right? Where like the the ability for the owner, like a Dan, to be able to say, I care about these things and to be conscious and aware that who they're selling to might not. And so like the, the chances of not having that, and I think that's where a lot of that regret comes from, where like someone guts your company, they treat the people different, they cut the bonuses because there's this, un, un, you know, there's a lack of awareness from the seller that these people that are have, you know, that are having the bag of money don't see it that way. So I don't know, Dan, I mean, because you, you've had some ex- examples of like that too, where you're, you're having the, to correlate or, 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 you know, cross examine money and like, what, what am I doing here? What's the purpose? How, how do you, how do you make those decisions or how do you think about it? I, you know, it's, it's, I, I haven't figured out the way to put them on the same chart. Right? <laughs> I weigh, I weigh happiness at a seven out of 10 and money at a five out of 10 and employee. It's, you know, it, it's really tough to quantify some of this stuff. And, uh, um, you know, and I, I, maybe it's a little bit easier with much larger organizations, uh, but certainly as a, you know, as a human, and I've got a co-founder who also happens to be a human. Right, like there's, uh, weighing these, weighing these, uh, you know, the different options. It's um, there's, we I guess we go with the gut first, 
like, does this feel right? Do you think this would feel right for the team? And I think that's the lens. And those are kind of the two questions that we start with when we look at big opportunities or potentially selling or, you know, any of the, um, any of those big decisions. And certainly there's more that goes into all of that, but you know, that's, um, we, we kind of start with that lens because unless like it, it, it's not going to work otherwise. And I, I also have a different kind of business. I have a marketing services company. We're not a, a tech platform and we don't make physical things that we sell and ship through the air. So, you know, my, uh, uh, the entire value of my company, you know, leaves the office and goes home. Well, we have a lot of people that work from home. So, you know, leaves one room and goes to another room, uh, <laughs> however you want to work that analogy. And so that's more important than anything else. I, I don't know, Alexander, I know there's, you know, you're. And Dan, so Dan, you actually have a great story that emphasizes this isn't just about the investors, but also who you sell to your customers and clients, especially with a B2B company like you have. And, you know, I interviewed you and we put a post up on Conscious Capital's website about you making the decision to focus on certain customers and perhaps not others. Would, would you be willing to share that story? I think it's a really powerful one. Uh, it is. I mean, we, uh, the, the, the very short version is we fired one of our biggest clients because um, of the way they were, were treating our team. And, um, you know, that we, we risked a whole lot in, in doing that. And, you know, the, you know, looking at the, uh, um, the ROI of, uh, the, the buy-in that we got from our team and you need to make bold moves like that. And, but it's, but it's also tough in business because you're staring at payroll and you're, you know, there's a, there's a spectrum and there's a, there's a path, uh, you know, on the way to, you know, I, I guess I, what I'm saying is I, I wish a hundred percent of every brand that we work with was was there right or was already a certified b corp or you know just recognizing that businesses are on the spectrum we are balancing you know to the business owners listening here i know the pressures of you know of payroll and end of year and all and especially companies that have investors and it's tough you know they're they're when you zoom out and you look at the macro level and all of those studies are you know around conscious businesses, making more money, growing faster and, um, uh, and reaching a lot of those financial targets. It's a really tough thing for any business owner or CEO. Um, cause this isn't like a macro level decision, right? <laughs> signing, a signing, a signing a paper, stating your intentions is awesome. It's a great first step, uh, but there's a thousand little steps, a thousand trade-offs, um, you know, as you're looking at your, you know, the benefits that you offer for your team. Yes. <laughs> so it's uh, you know in practice in practice it is a thousand little things and a thousand small decisions um so i think a lot of that is just education and inspiration um well, and, as you know what's going to move us in the right direction well i think you bring up a lot of good points and like you need to think about what you just said and like how in alexander this is directed towards you because what dan just said and how I, I truly believe, like you said, that it's a, a business or a makeup of people. They're an organism, right? And so therefore, as a founder, it's a, it's a, a, I believe it's a derivative of your personality. So there's like scientific proof that like when they did fMRIs that business owners, the founders see that the same activity in their brain as when they see their child when they talk about their business, because everything that Dan's doing is a reflection of him and his, his morals and his, his values. And when these people go to potentially sell, like 
it's so hard to figure out how that person that you're going to be handing out the baton to feels the same way and pays you the, a reasonable price for that, which is why I'm very bullish about that, the ESOPs that are coming out and the ability of people to do ESOPs because they can maintain their legacy. But, you know, if, and there's also Sonny, I'm interviewing Sonny here pretty soon, Dan. Um, he's a private equity firm that is based in conscious capitalism, which is unbelievably cool. But, you know, Alexander, if you, we're speaking to someone like Dan, who is looking, you know, Dan's on the younger end of the spectrum, but I, you know, I, I, there's a lot of these 60 year olds that are going, how am I going to take my legacy and hand it off? I need to be rewarded for it financially so I can survive, but I can't be miserable at the same time. What are some things that you would give them some questions on how to like, if someone's staring, staring at them with a bag of money, whether it's a third party strategic buyer or a private equity to be able to filter through to understand if they believe this kind of stuff. Well, I love that you have Sonny Vanderbeck coming on the show soon because he is going to be able to give so much better advice than I could because he's been through this multiple times himself, selling his own company. And this is what he does now in private equity. He finds the right companies to invest in and he supports the, the, the owners as they go through that process. And he just wrote a book, How to Sell Without Selling Out. It's a fantastic read and he's going to give better recommendations than I can, but the what I'll offer right now is the most important thing for someone thinking of selling or taking an outside capital is to make that decision based on your values as much as anything else. Is who you're bringing into the business someone that is going to carry on the purpose and the values of the company? Or is it someone who's going to likely change it because they have other priorities? And when you really understand that, it's going to be a lot easier to make the decision. I mean, Dan, you, you just went through a process of deciding whether to sell or not. Um, what was going through your head as you were making that decision? So much. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of late night calls we had. <laughs> you know, this is a, uh, um, you know, understanding the audience of this, uh, um, the podcast, myself included. Um, it is a really difficult process. You know, there's, um, and, and time consuming. And, uh, you know, you got to, um, it forces you to think through every scenario, even every scenario of, you know, how you want your company to be, uh, should you say no uh, to, you know, to an offer. So, um, I, you know, I wouldn't say there's one, I, one piece of advice I could, I could give here other than those two questions I said, you know, does this feel right? And would this feel right for the team? And that uh, get to start before you spend all the time and get the LOIs and pay the accountants and lawyers, like think really hard about that question. And we were very open with our, our leadership team. And, you know, we got opinions to, um, you know, cause sitting in your, uh, sitting in your office or uh, it's tough to really feel, you know, what, or to really learn what, how it would be for your team and what their opinions are. Um, so we uh, radical transparency. I mean, it's a talk that I give just about kind of how we have an open book and open culture here. Uh, and it's, uh, there's many, many benefits to that. Um, but it's also challenging. It's scary. The kind of decisions and things that business owners have to ponder, um, to most employees, um, it's easy to, you know, some people aren't ready for that conversation. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenging process and, you know, start with those two first two questions and we saved ourselves a lot of time in many scenarios um not going back and forth on uh, about money if we knew the the other stuff wasn't going to fit 
Well, what's interesting about your point, Dan, and Alexander, this is to you, because I know we're running short on time here, is that conscious capitalism actually is starting to quantify these intangibles that I think, like you said, like Dan, intuitively has been doing this since he started the company, right? So conscious capitalism and and the materials you have are putting some, you know, whether it's, you know, like you said, whether it's directly, you know, scalable or you can rate it, maybe, maybe not, but like there's lots of materials that you guys have, Alexander. So if, if an owner, I, I truly believe that if, if a uh, founder is going, okay, I need to quantify the stuff that Dan just talked about and start to articulate that because the money will make sense because it's, it's, that's the more the math part, but this is the stuff that, that they have to really understand if they want to ingrain this into the company and the culture and their legacy. What, what are the things that you guys are doing at Conscious Capitalism that they can go get more information? Where's the best place to find it? And what do you guys, uh, where's the, the, where are the resources at? I always appreciate an opportunity to plug how people can get more involved. So anyone who's listening that is excited by this, wants to see what resources are available and wants to learn from other conscious capitalists, because that's our philosophy as an organization. We're not telling business leaders what to do. We are crowdsourcing and sharing the best practices that conscious capitalists have already been utilizing that others can learn from and inviting more people to share their best practices with other businesses as well. All of that's available on our website, consciouscapitalism.org. And we have events both locally and globally throughout the year where you can meet other conscious capitalists, get familiar with the community, learn from them, and make your own contributions, whether that's our CEO Summit coming up from October 15th to 17th in Austin, Texas, or our annual conference next year taking place from April 14th to 16th in Jersey City right outside of New York, or chapter events all across the country where you're able to go and ask other conscious capitalists what they're doing, meet them, build up your community of peer support with other business people who share your values, and then go to our website and access the resources and other examples of what business leaders are doing. So to echo that, those conferences have been life-changing for me. Um, I, I love, I, I spend a lot of time doing digital marketing stuff with other digital marketers. Um, and I, I also love that, but in a much different way, the learning from companies that, what I, just the, the breadth of types of companies, uh, you know, that are all trying to do some of the same things for their people and for this world, but, you know, sell brownies or, you know, <laughs> heavy machinery. Um, <laughs> Right. The, just the the way that sort of breaks my thinking and, and the inspiration you get from talking to other business owners who have very different challenges, it's it's been it's been great. And it it's sort of as you sort of like, all right, if you're drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit and it, it's a great way to just get started and by seeing what other businesses are doing. You know, that's uh, we've gotten so many ideas and inspiration from that and it's fun. That helps. One last question for you, Alexander, is if you were to fast forward and, you know, as, a, as the CEO of Conscious Capitalism, I mean, you got kind of an important job as the movement's picking up here. Um, what would you, if you were to say 10 years from now, like what would be successful for the movement and for what you guys are, have done? Our long-term goal is for Conscious Capitalism to be redundant. We need to get to a place where this is just the norm, the paradigm by which people understand and practice capitalism. And that doesn't mean everyone's necessarily doing it. You never get to 100%, but it's the default for individuals. And I don't know if that's 10 years away. I think it's more like 30 or 50. But then again, things are accelerating more quickly than I think any of us expected. A decade ago, these ideas were being laughed out of boardrooms and conferences. People did not take conscious capitalism seriously. 
Now, Business Roundtable is endorsing it. It's being discussed at the Milken Conference. You've got investors like BlackRock talking about it. And that signals a shift is happening. We're reaching the tipping point sooner than any of us expected. And the invitation is for more business leaders to get on board and be a part of this because this is the future. And we want more of them to get a, to work with others and to embrace them. Alexander, it's been an absolute blast. I know you got to run because uh, you got a call, but I can't thank you enough. I wasn't able to make the summit this year because I've got my own boot camps going on, but uh, I've got it already pegged for next year because I, I'm, I'm pumped and I'm uh, really looking forward to hear how, hearing how it goes. I'm looking forward to you coming out. And thank you, Ryan, for having us stand. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for everything you two are doing to elevate humanity through business. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I absolutely love Conscious Capitalism, if you cannot tell. I highly recommend you go out and get the book. You know, if you're listening to this and you're wondering what is the point of having your company, whether you're burnt out, you don't know what you want to do, you don't know what your eventual exit's going to be, you don't know how to grow in a way that fulfills you, this ties it all together in such an amazing way that once you get done reading it, as a, as a founder, I can almost guarantee you you're going to go, this is what's been missing because you can make money and do good and the things that you do for your employees and your clients are all for a reason and your instincts are right. But then how do you tie it together with something that creates value for yourself and is has sustainable cash flow and a legacy tied to it and doesn't just go away into nothingness because you absorbed it in some strategic sale? Please come to our boot camp so you can understand how the inner workings of how to grow value and all the analyze all the different exits. And then you can focus on things like conscious capitalism so you can leave a legacy that's literally worth remembering because of how well you treated everybody that helped you get to where you're going. So with that being said, I hope you enjoyed it and I will see you next week.